I'm James Randi, and you're listening to the European Skeptics Podcast, the real ESP experience. You are listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European-level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode number 16. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Jelena Levin and Pontus Böckmann. See ya, Stock. Всем привет. Hey, Saraleup. Good to be here. Again with you? Yeah. Yes, Hi. wonderful. Um, Welcome. Hope you're both well. We are. I am. Very well, yes. Good. Mm. Good. And uh, same goes for all our listeners um, around the world, actually. We have listeners from many, many countries. We have seven um, from Japan. I checked out yesterday. Wow. Mm. Oh. It would be interesting to know how many people listening to the show are um, people of uh, European origin living in other countries. Uh, outside of Europe. But we do know for a fact, because uh, we've been contacted about that, that uh, there are lots of people just interested in uh, European actions, in skepticism, which is great. This is the place to and, be uh, if you're interested. Absolutely, absolutely. And please, if if you are interested, there might be a lot of other people around you who might be interested. So um, it would be great if you could, could help us uh, spread the word and... Uh, and promote our show among your friends and uh, family and uh, different uh, groups. Uh, there are groups on Facebook and stuff where where uh, people are communicating with each other. So, um, yeah, please, please help us spread the word by sharing our posts and uh, our podcast. And, uh, yeah, uh, there are a, f a few things... Um, being in development uh, in terms of uh, European scepticism. So when uh, there is something to talk about um, in that sense, uh, we're going to report on the new developments. Um, so stay tuned for those. There is only one more thing about your feedback. Uh, we would love to hear your opinion um, about the show, about uh, the, the whole initiative um, And if you have ideas or different topics that you think we should uh, talk about on the show, uh, you're more than welcome uh, to send us your uh, opinion and ideas. Uh, please contact us. But if you just uh, want to chat, if you just want to let us know uh, where you are, what you're doing, uh, yeah, just feel free to contact us with, with those uh, emails too. Yeah, you can email us on info at theesp.eu. You can find us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu. Um, you can like us on Facebook and you can go on, on to our website, theesp.eu and fill out the contact form. Yeah, and please do be yes. in touch because that's the whole, con the whole idea with this show is to bring people together from different nations. So let us know what's going on. There is there is one more thing that I, I I wanted to talk about. It's it's not necessarily 
tightly connected to European skepticism. But uh, since the guy who who has started the the whole thing, the whole movement, uh, is from the UK, it has um, quite a significance to European skeptics as well. So what I'm talking about is something that's been all over the news in the in the last couple of days, and uh, that's the anti-vaccination movement reaching the Tribeca Film Festival in uh, New York, which started as a terrible thing. Robert De Niro, who's one of the founders of this film festival, he actually endorsed a movie with the title Vax. And not only endorsed it, but um, according to a few sources, he was even uh, among the ones providing funding for it. Which makes the whole thing even worse, because that movie was featuring Andrew Wakefield, who restarted the the really dangerous anti-vaccination movement in 1998 with a publication that later turned out to be absolutely fraudulent. Uh, He fabricated data and stuff. The damage was done after he started um, spreading the idea that the MMR vaccines cause autism. And even though it's been debunked many, many times, lots and lots of uh, investigations have been carried out. No connection was found whatsoever. Uh, Still, there is a growing movement of anti-vaccination going on worldwide. And it's going on in European countries as well. But when it's actively promoted at a film festival with Andrew Wakefield... He was going to appear and talk at the screening of the film, which is terrible. But thanks to a worldwide outrage from skeptics and scientists, Robert De Niro actually pulled the film from the program of the festival, which is a great decision. And uh, what he said is... uh, My intent in screening this film was to provide an opportunity for conversation around an issue that is deeply personal to me and my family. But after reviewing it over the past few days with the Tribeca Film Festival team and others from the scientific community, we do not believe it contributes to or furthers the discussion I had hoped for. Mm. And what this personal connection is, that Robert De Niro and his wife have a child with autism. So this is this is how it comes a personal touch. This is why it becomes emotionally uh, loaded. And this is why it's a great thing that he actually sat down with people uh, representing the scientific community and talked it through with them and made the decision of withdrawing the film. And why is it important? Because... It shows us that when the community, when the skeptic and scientific community starts to work together for a certain cause, protesting, then progress can be made. So it's it's a small victory, if we can call it a victory, but still it's significant. It shows us that there is hope. So I think it 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 is a great example that we should do that. We should keep doing that with with other things, other topics as well. 
Now I wonder how this will go down by the the anti-vaxxers if they will. Yeah, of course they will blame us skeptics as being, uh, you know, oppressing every opinion, etc. But I, I wonder how how it will be perceived in the long term. If it's it's a of course it's a victory that it, they pulled the, the film at uh, in the end, and I I think kudos to to Robert De Niro for changing his mind. Yeah, but still I wonder if it will be construed as some sort of repression of uh, free word or whatever they they always say. Yeah, but um, they they're gonna keep running to celebrities. That's for mm, sure. Yeah, and for their support, mm. because because that shows another thing that celebrities should be much more cautious uh, about what they're promoting, because there is a certain amount of responsibility that they not necessarily recognize uh, when they start promoting shit like that. Mm. So. Uh, yeah, it's an ongoing problem uh, among celebrities. And we've talked about that before. Yelena mentioned um, Gwyneth Paltrow mm. on the last last episode, and yeah, that's that's a great example as well. Mm. But there are there are good examples too. Was it Leonardo DiCaprio? Yeah, I think so. Uh, talking about climate change lately, I think I've heard Matt Damon as well a couple of years back. So that's an important thing. Mm. And uh, anti-anti-vaccination group is uh, is supported by some celebrities too. But it's absolutely amazing that it was a long time ago that the myth was revealed and it, it was debunked. And it still lingers on. It it still hasn't died out yet. It's just terrible. So this is, this is why shit shouldn't be promoted. Right. Yeah, I don't think we can stop it from happening. We can... Keep educating people to not fall for this. This is one of the reasons why events that are happening around the world, and especially in Europe for us, are very important. Because they are great opportunities for the public to meet experts, meet people who actually know their stuff. And they they can answer their questions right on the spot that is important because that's an ongoing discussion. That is something that is educational. So the more events we have, the better off we are. So let's see what we have for the coming week. Let's start with uh, one that is the 10-day-long line of events, uh, which is the Edinburgh uh, Science Festival. And uh, there are many skepticism-related topics, uh, many, many interesting topics to to be covered. On Sunday, April the 3rd, uh, there will be a High Wickham Skeptics um, in the pub meeting, but it's an unusual one this time. They're going to attend a Quakers meeting house uh, in High Wickham. Apparently, in the past, uh, the High Wickham Skeptics in the pub uh, have visited a mosque, a psychic fair and a spiritualist church. So the uh, Quakers meeting is their next kind of stop. Uh, it sounds very interesting. And there will then be a debriefing afterwards in the pub nearby. So if you are around High Wycombe on April the 3rd, uh, it will be happening between 10.30 and 12.30. And I'm very happy to, to hear that Leipzig in the pub is happening again. So Lucy, who is organizing those things there, that's, they're quite new. 
So they're starting up their uh, Skeptics in the Pub events in, in Leipzig on a very, very good note. So they will have something they call a foray through the religious supermarket in the city of Leipzig. A uh, discussion of cults and sects in Leipzig. That will be on on Wednesday, the 6th of April. Very good luck to them. We wish them all the best and all the success in the future. Uh, it's great to see new skeptics in the pub uh, movements uh, uh, growing. Mm-hmm. It's great. Yeah, exactly. So I want to remind everybody that our offer stands. If you have a skeptics in the pub event and you want some company, please contact us and we will Skype into your uh, skeptics in the pub and we will we will have our beer. We will sit here on our in front of our computers and join you uh, and uh, share you on while, while you're having your skeptics in the pub. So I, I really looking forward to that. The bonus will be that we will, we will of course record it and we will s- send part of that in the show and you will get some free uh, advertising for your skeptics in the pub. Yes. Let the emails pour in. Absolutely. <laughs> Great um, stuff. But now we would like to share something with you. Um, that we are very excited about, uh, and especially we were uh, so excited beforehand and during recording, uh, because it's re- it's even amazing, right? Yeah, it was. Amazing. It's incredible, really. It was an amazing experience um, with someone who doesn't really need the introduction, but I'm I'm going to do it anyway. And uh, yeah, for the for for all skeptics around the world. His name at least sounds familiar. If if you don't know exactly who that person is, you still you still must have heard his name because his name is James the Amazing Randy. On every other episode, we release an interview with a prominent figure of the international skeptic movement. These people either represent an organization or project on a national or international level or are widely recognized for their achievements in educating the public into skepticism. Today's guest has really lived up to both. He is probably the single most recognized skeptic in the world. But just to try to sum up his achievements briefly for those who don't know him, he's a Canadian-born retired magician, escapologist and paranormal investigator, author of 10 books, contributor of countless TV shows and films, co-founder of the Committee for Skeptical Inquiry, and founder of the educational foundation bearing his name. Psychology professor Ray Hyman called him the face of the skeptical movement. But he also played a role in the kickstarting of several European skeptical organizations. So much so that I would even say he is the grandfather of European skepticism. So... James the Amazing Randy, welcome to the show. Thank you, and uh, I'm feeling much older than I was just a few minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't mean to offend you, but... No, 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 no offense taken. I'm 87 years of age, and uh, when I announce that, that, that figure, I usually say, going on 100 because I'm optimistic. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. So that's the spirit, I that think. That sounds good to all <laughs> yeah. of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm, we... Keep our fingers crossed, as good skeptics do, <laughs> that it, it happens. Um, I respect it highly, of course. But since you just mentioned your uh, your age, uh, you've had quite a life so far, and it's very nicely depicted uh, those achievements you, you've had in a recent movie that is uh, 
titled An Honest Liar. Uh, it was released in 2015. Do you know anything about how well it was received across Europe? Well, yes, I've followed that uh, rather closely, out of general interest, of course, and uh, I'm proud to say that uh, it has received raves all over Europe, all over the world, and uh, there are uh, eight different versions of it as as far as a soundtrack that you can choose. Not a, not a soundtrack, I should say, uh, a, a visual representation of uh, the speech that's being made. It's translated in eight different languages, and uh, shortly to be three more, I believe. Uh, it has gotten fantastic uh, reviews all over the world, and we're very, very happy with it. And my partner, Davy and I, uh, every now and then we... Uh, we, we sit at our respective uh, uh, transmitters and uh, receivers and whatnot, and uh, we watch different versions of it with great interest. It, it mm. has caused uh, a minor sensation, and we're very, very satisfied with the reaction. Is it going to be available openly to the public at some point so that... Uh, the the skeptical activist could jump on it and start translating, uh, putting up subtitles or, or things like that. Or it's 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 going to stay in the hands of the uh, company. Well, uh, I think it's going to stay in the hands of the company, but they are very enthusiastic about uh, <clears throat> getting it. Uh, I, I, when I say translations, now I I mean uh, there are just subtitles that appear. Okay, each uh, screen. Uh, generally giving the the uh, the text, but uh, it's not word-for-word word translated. Uh, that would be a, a momentous job, to say the least. Uh, I would rather level Gibraltar than do that, but uh, and I have no intentions of leveling Gibraltar in case I get accused of that. I, I, I am easily accused <laughs> by uh, tractors all across the world who say, aha, he promised to dismember, uh, dislocate, and move uh, Gibraltar, and there should be something said about that. Uh, mm. But uh, I, I, I try to avoid the possibility of any such silly accusations. I think you would be, a, well, maybe not quite so astonished at being a skeptic yourselves, but uh, I sometimes am I'm really astonished at uh, how silly people can get in... Um, inventing all kinds of canards uh, about me and uh, about the skeptical movement and uh, the CSI and various other agencies uh, that exist. Uh, but uh, I should not be too surprised. I really should not. It really is a fantastic movie, if I may say so. And uh, I'm sure that you get your fair share of abuse and th threats and stuff uh, after your, your career here. How about there are two people protagonists you may call them in in the movie that that is depicted quite well uh, or a lot uh, that's Uri Geller and P Peter Popov. So how do you feel about these two persons now after what you went you went head to head with them both uh, in your career? Oh well, with Uri Geller he's pretty well uh, disavowed, I think. Well by many people who at one time actually believed that he could do super, supernatural spoon bending. Uh, you know, what a profession. 
what do you do for a living? I bend spoons. <laughs> uh, is this useful to mankind? Uh, no, I don't really think so, but it, it brings me a lot of money. That, that would probably be his honest response to it, if he has an honest response on anything. Uh, it seems like a wasted life, to tell you the truth, and uh, I'd hate to have to admit that that's the only thing I do with my life is bend spoons. But uh, I must say uh, another thing, too. Geller is just not an important factor in the skeptical uh, community anymore. Uh, he maintains a fantastic website, so I'm told I, I t- I've taken a look at it occasionally, but I, I can't take too much of it because <laughs> my my, my uh, teeth begin to rot. Um, but um, other people like Popoff now, Peter Popoff, the evangelist, and we have hundreds, hundreds of them here in the United States and Canada alone, of course. Uh, Peter Popoff, uh, first of all, has gained a huge amount of weight. He must weigh at least twice as much as he, as he did at the time that I exposed him on the major television uh, programs here in the United States of America. Um, but what he does is, is in such bad taste, he will take something that he recorded years ago and he will present it uh, with it, with his own face showing on the television screen and you see a face that is just huge. Uh, he's he's oh, uh, many, many kilograms more than he ever weighed in his life. And then they suddenly switched to a miniature little guy uh, running around and shrieking, praise Jesus, and carrying on. Uh, I, I don't know how he can mix those two videos uh, and, and do it without any shame whatsoever. I don't know what methods he's using now to, uh, to do his act, but uh, we expose that very thoroughly on something known as the uh, Johnny Carson Show here in the United States of America. That was very, very effective. And it's on YouTube. And is, uh, I'm told from the YouTube folks, uh, I have a couple of confidants there who tell me that it is constantly shown and shown and shown. And you can see from the figures that they, mm. that they exhibit on YouTube that it is uh, very, very popular. Yeah, But he's still making a, a lot of money, I believe, uh, in different... Oh, I, of course, of course, because people... People can't be convinced of anything. If, if they have decided that this is what they're going to believe, that Popoff is, is close to uh, God someplace in the sky or under the earth, I have no idea what their concept of, of heaven or hell is. But uh, if they're convinced of it, they not only want it, but they need it very badly. They really need to have it, even though they they may recognize that it's not very likely to be true, but they, they brush that all aside. And I remember, oh goodness, one lady that I accosted at a at a faith healing meeting where uh, Popoff was up on the stage screeching and carrying on. This is several years ago. Oh, many years ago, really. Uh, I accosted her after she had been on stage to be healed, and she had literally fallen over into the arms of the attendants because she could not walk though she had two canes. And uh, I accosted her as she left the audience. And um, I said to her, uh, the healing doesn't appear to have taken very well. And I was trying to be kind. 
And she looked at me and she said, well, no, and that's entirely my fault. You see, I didn't have enough faith. Hmm. And I said, so you're blaming it on yourself? And she said, oh, yes, it's certainly not Reverend Popoff's uh, fault. And she tottered away with the still two canes in her hand, very unsteadily. And then she suddenly turned, and we had the camera on her at that moment, and she turned and she waved one of the canes at me. She said, but I still believe. She wanted to make sure that her belief was not questioned. Mm. And she sort of cast her eyes heavenward. But uh, do you think in instances like that, when you come across people who not only... Um, you know, want to believe, but like you said, they need to believe. And then Peter, people like Peter Popov come along and then they offer them what they need. Do you think people like that can be persuaded that this is, this is not true and we should just rely on ourselves and the facts and the, you know, rational thinking and the science? Can they really be persuaded even though they've got this conviction? Yes, they can be persuaded. And I, I will tell you something that, uh, uh, my my partner Davy and I we uh, certainly one within the United States when we know of showings of the film uh, that are going to be in in large enough venues uh, we will often take a trip to attend the showing of the film and then there's a Q and A question and answer session afterwards and uh, after that's all over uh, most of the people leave and there are always five or six come down to the foot of the stage and we're still on the stage and they have tears coming down their faces and they'll look up at us and say things like you made a great difference in my life now you cannot purchase that mm. you cannot buy it you can't invent it it's something that people offer you freely this admission that they have made a change in their lives, and uh, that you were somewhat responsible for it. And that is very sobering. It is very sobering indeed. It, it makes us realize that we have to return to the fray again and continue on. You can't give it up. You've got to try to reach people who would not normally have been reached. And uh, the responsibility of that position, I assure you, is, is very heavy on us. Mm, incredible. Yeah, that is so true that the role model that someone is presented with can determine their path later on. And uh, this is why I think your role in the, the skeptical movement in Europe and elsewhere, I do know that you gave something like that. You gave that hope or that example of how things can be done to lots of European people, European skeptics, who were skeptics per se, but they didn't know that they could even act on it. And uh, you had quite a big role in uh, some of the European organizations uh, that uh, came to life between the 1980s and the 1990s. You traveled a lot uh, across Europe, right? So... I was uh, not too recently sent an article from Skeptical Briefs that was the, the, the newsletter of the Committee for Skeptical Inquiry, if I'm not mistaken. From 1991, it, uh, it was sent over to me by uh, Barry Carr. It was about the Hungarian 
skeptical movement and skeptics in Asia. And uh, in in that article, uh, you were mentioned, and I do know how the Hungarian skeptic movement started, and I do know how important a role you played in it. But I have heard from many other organizations across Europe. So can you even tell how many countries you influenced like that in Europe? Well, that's hard to say. Uh, I just, uh, oh, a couple of months ago, I returned from a trip uh, that I made to Finland. I have a lot of good friends in Finland. I did some lecturing uh, around the country of Finland, and I went from there directly to Italy, and I had my first uh, experience with five different theaters um, in Italy, uh, all <laughs> covered simultaneously with pictures of me uh, mm. Alive, alive, old. Wow! And uh, I got to answer questions from five different parts of Italy all at the same time. It was uh, quite an experience. Electronically, it was quite an experience. I can assure you. But uh, I'm on my way to. Well, I, I came back from Australia not too long ago. Either I did a whole tour of Australia. I covered it from one coast to the other uh, with uh, great success. Great success. And uh, I, I'm I'm on another lecture tour. I'm getting it together, trying to organize it. These things are not easily organized, as you might imagine, because you have to uh, bring all the travel arrangements and such uh, into it. And at my age, I, uh, I I rather insist that I travel in uh, in first class if possible, and uh, because I, I can literally, <laughs> I I must admit, I I can literally get into an aircraft now before it takes off, uh, lay back and wake up moments later to me, uh, <laughs> two hours ahead, and I've already landed at the airport. And I didn't even know that I'd taken off. Uh, of course, I miss a lot of good cocktails and a few things like that, but uh, I guess I could do without that. Uh, but it, 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 It's still very active for me, very active, and I want to keep moving. Uh, I think if I stop moving, I'll, I'll die. And I don't want that to happen. Not yet. Not yet. Um, when and where do you think people from Europe can catch you the next time? Well, if you're, if you're on Facebook, uh, these things will all be announced on uh, Facebook. That's okay. where you take in to uh, send people for references. Uh, I had nothing to do with Facebook until uh, rather recently. But uh, now we're on there all the time and I keep announcements going up. And uh, I think there are probably some published just yesterday. But uh, Facebook is the place to keep track of us. And uh, I I can tell you that uh, as a free service, I, I don't I don't know how these people like Skype operate. For example, we're using Skype at this very moment, and I, I find it difficult to understand how they survive. But as long as they do, I have no complaints, uh, and I, and I have no right to to. Uh, to try to look into it, but it, it might be magic for all I know. I'm not too sure. <laughs> <laughs> it probably is. I have to make that admission. Yeah, it, it probably is. Yeah, but uh, they are not honest liars. They don't. They don't tell us that that they are not using magic. So they they let us believe that it's magic. Very mm. reassuring. So if we just stay like uh, on topic of European skepticism for a bit, because you've been to the both sides of the pond, uh, the American side and European side, um, what 
do we as skeptics in Europe do differently from America, if anything? Um, is there anything we can learn from American skeptics? Um, what are your thoughts about that? I mean, and how much do you follow the European skeptic movement? Well, uh, I will say uh, Hungary has uh, always had a very uh, good um, uh, skeptical movement going. And Yula Bensi, of course, an old friend of mine from way back, from many, I haven't been in touch with him. And uh, as we said in our, our preamble uh, to this podcast, um, I have to really click in as soon as I, as I leave you folks. I'm not trying to get away. I'm not trying to get away. But... Um, mm -hmm. I will have to get a hold of uh, Yulin and, and find out just how he's doing. Uh, he is a is a great um, a great uh, purveyor of common sense uh, in my estimation, and I highly respect him. But I haven't spoken to him lately. Um, I, I must say that the American um, the American committees and organizations, I do believe, uh, tracing some of the history of it have influenced, uh, have gone out of their way to influence people around the world in various countries. And uh, I, I speak regularly with with China now, as a matter of fact. But in China, not everybody has access uh, to the Internet. And uh, so it, it's rather limited access in China. But I still do the best I can uh, to reach some people there who have the advantage of uh, being in touch electronically like that. But uh, the rest of the world, Australia, is very, very active uh, in the skeptical mode, I must say. And Richard Saunders uh, is a very close friend of mine and uh, very, very effective. I, I, I would like to take a certain amount of credit uh, for the American movement, however, uh, as having inspired uh, a skeptical attitude across the world. And I think that it it's the case that a lot of persons in other countries, other than the United States of America and Canada, for example, um, they were maybe unaware that there was an active group going. And I get this all the time. At least two or three times a week, I will get a note from somebody who I've never heard from before. And they have just discovered the skeptical movement in their own country <laughs> or in the United States. And they say, I had no idea there were people who thought like I did. Now, that, that's that's a shame, you know. And that's a pity. So many people are missing out uh, on this, what I consider, and I'm sure you agree with me, a very sensible attitude to be skeptical. Now, not to paranoid about it, and certainly not cynical. Never cynical. Uh, cynical just... Uh, and it rubs me the wrong way altogether. I am not cynical. I am skeptical, but I am not cynical. And uh, we, we have to maintain that difference. We have to have a limit. We can't say that uh, everything is uh, is nonsense uh, and, and we can't believe anything. No, there are some wonderful things. Just go out and take a, take a look at a sunrise and, and then then just sit back and say, wait a minute. That's quite remarkable. Now, the sun didn't rise. The earth turned to face the sun. I don't want to get into the details, you see. But uh, to be strictly correct, sunrise is not, not an event. It's actually the earth turning to face the sun. I, I don't know if this is a shock to you. but uh, or a, I, I'm writing I this down now, so I know. 
So you you've we've said several times that you have had a quite a long career, but uh, you announced last year that you were retiring from JREF. So is that really true? Because you seem to be fairly active still. And what are you doing now if you are retired? Well, I have to, first of all, have to slow down somewhat uh, because I can only accomplish uh, a, a certain amount um, per day. And I'm uh, working hard on the finishing touches of my 11th book to be titled uh, A Magician in the Laboratory, which will deal, it's going to be a very thick book, I assure you, uh, but it's going to deal with visits that I've made uh, over these decades, these past four or five decades particularly, to various labs, uh, scientific labs and uh, scientific ventures of various kinds around the world, where Scientists, real scientists, trained uh, scientists with degrees and such, have um, have erred greatly in accepting all sorts of, of nonsense uh, uh, that is just not true at all. And I'm not talking about spoon bending or anything silly like that. A lot of them have accepted things that are so so fantastic uh, that you have to wonder if they really are sane and really have scientific training. I'm shocked in many cases to hear of these uh, beliefs that they they spread. Uh, I'm not going to start to name people, but I have a, a long list of scientists around the world that I visited, and I would... Well, there are only two results of my visits to them. They either uh, looked at, at what I showed them and it was often on video or whatever from previous work that they've done, and I could see where the trick was being uh, carried out. I would point that out to them, and I would either get a very quiet reception to it, and then afterwards a, a chat to the effect, well, I, I wasn't aware of that, Mr. Andy. I had no idea that that was being done. And that's an acceptance of the fact that they had been hornswoggled, so to speak. And... Uh, then the other reaction is just raising their chins and looking at me and saying, well, that may be your opinion, Mr. Andy, but I believe that it actually is ESP or whatever. Now, that's that second reaction to my revelations is, is scarcer than the other one. I don't get that as often as I used to. And I think that uh, science in general is is getting straightened out in many respects. But there was a time years ago, uh, I would have to go back 20 years or so uh, in my memory to to, to come to a, another incident like the kind of thing that happened to me, and happened to me in, in Hungary even, um, where they just looked at me with their, their jaws stuck out at me belligerently and said uh, things like... Uh, that's not true. That's not true at all. I know this is the real thing. Mm. I'm, I'm a PhD in so-and-so and such-and-such. And, such. and uh, they, they throw their authority, their degrees at you, and they seem to think that's going to do the job. No, that doesn't do the job. Because I can fool a PhD with a magic trick as easily as I can someone with much less education and prestige. I assure you, as a matter of fact, uh, we magicians 
he came to the conclusion a long time ago that our most difficult audience is children. And for a strange reason, children are not yet sophisticated enough to be fooled. Now, I know that that's a hard statement for you to accept, perhaps. But, you see, we know if, if I were to take an object in one hand and transfer it to the other hand, then open that hand and show that it had vanished, uh, it may be that I didn't actually transfer it from my right hand to my left hand, uh, for example. So when I open my left hand, it has never left my right hand. That can happen. Children aren't uh, accustomed to that kind of deception, and and they they are very very hard to fool. Because they'll even point at you and say, "But I didn't see it go into your other hand." Mm. And they're tr they're right on that. They're right on that. But the misdirection and the expressions and and the pointing of my head and such as a conjurer uh, would would convince an adult. It doesn't necessarily convince a child until that child is sophisticated enough to be fooled. That's the expression I use. Think about that. Yeah. But, but you, you say that, that even, you know, a good education doesn't prevent you from being fooled, doesn't protect you from being fooled. So True. so you can you can fool anybody, really, uh, with, with a good magic trick. Have you? Oh, yes. Have oh, you yes. ever been fooled yourself to believe in something paranormal? Maybe not lately, but in, in the in when you were younger? Oh, yes, of mm -hmm. course, when I was younger, and that's what got me interested in the whole uh, conjuring art. I, I prefer not to say magic. It's not magic. Magic would really be a miracle. But uh, they, the word conjuring and conjurer, much, much more accurate. They're used in the UK all the time, I'm happy to, to report. Um, so there is a conjurer and there is a magician, a magician. Uh, it doesn't belong to the magic circle, <laughs> though they don't call it the conjuring circle. Um, so uh, I, I have, yes, I, I have been deceived as a young man. I was deceived many, many times by wonderful artists that I came upon in one way or another. And uh, sometimes I, I did not come up with a solution as to how I had been deceived. Uh, and that was always a pleasure. That was always a delight to know that I could be deceived that way. And I had to work harder in order to be able to solve it. And in, in professionals, once I was in the conjuring trade uh, as a recognized performer, uh, magicians are very, very generous in that respect, I assure you. They will share secrets with one another because they don't want the thing to not go on and not be developed uh, by artists. And uh, as a matter of fact, uh, some of my mentalism stunts I have confided in in mentalists that I know, and when I say mentalist, I mean a, a conjurer who appears to do everything with the with the mind. You see, uh, Azari Geller would like you to believe that he actually concentrates his mind and the spoon bends. Duh! Uh, what a ridiculous <laughs> concept. But uh, nonetheless, um, that that's something that something that only conjurers can understand and can really discuss in detail. The fact that. Uh, children are not yet sophisticated enough to be fooled. Well, as a lifelong skeptic activist, and um, you, you saw it all, I, I, I can probably imagine, and you've got a good understanding of the movement around the world, um, here in Europe and America, Canada, like you mentioned, Australia, etc. 
Do you think uh, there is a proverbial light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak? Um, and do you think that common sense, science and reason will prevail at the end? Uh, for example, I know that there's going to be a reason rally in America in, in June. Um, do you think that there's going to be a world where there, there'll be no need for such thing to happen because people will be reasonable? Well, that's an excellent question, I must say. But uh, I'll use the dirty word, religion. Mm. Religion is magic. It is if it works, if it works. Now, I, I think that one word, one word I use to describe when and people often ask me, they say, uh, <laughs> you know, how, how do you know that prayer doesn't work? <laughs> I simply look them straight in the eye and I simply say, Dachau. Mm-hmm. Now, you know that the inhabitants of the concentration camps in Nazi Germany You know that they prayed fervently not to be put into the ovens. But they went by the hundreds and then thousands over the years. They died, even though they prayed earnestly to an imaginary God someplace in the sky or under the earth. That, that's, that's my evidence of the fact that prayer does not work And uh, it, it's brutal, true, and I get some horrified looks sometimes when I use that word, but it's very, very effective. Hmm. Dachau. Wow. What's the reaction when you throw that bomb on them? Usually they're very silent. Usually they're very silent, and, and sometimes they will, they will just turn away. And I, I just hope at that point that maybe, maybe my, my comment got through to them. Maybe it actually served some purpose. I hope that it does, because I think that religion is the greatest farce that the human race has ever been subject to. Uh, it is it is misused. It is it is a, a power play. The Vatican is one of the most evil organizations I can I can imagine of. And this is my estimation. This is my opinion. Now I don't ask you to necessarily share it, but. Uh, And the, the 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 current pope, by the way, I have a certain amount of affection for this this gentleman. I think that he uh, is the most sensible pope that I've ever ever heard of, and uh, I, I think he really really is a good human being. Though I think he's misdirected uh, because he's religious. Religion is uh, the greatest mistake that we have ever made, and I am an avowed atheist. I'm willing to be convinced to the contrary, uh, but always willing to be convinced to the contrary if evidence is presented. But they don't offer evidence. They'll thump a Bible and say, it's all in here. No, it isn't. It's self-contradictory. It's a, a, a failed book. It's it just ridiculous. They keep on saying, there's no no errors in the, in the, in the Bible at all. Yes, it is packed. Every page has an error on it, somewhere or another, and a grievous error, something that misrepresents reality very strongly. Now I, I'm, I'm getting all worked up here, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's very interesting because I, I've had the discussions with other skeptics because there are a few skeptics, yes, uh, that are still religious. Oh yes. How do you feel about that? I feel, and I, I don't, I don't understand them at all. 
and uh, I will often get into discussions and say, prove it, prove it. They say, oh, it doesn't need proof, it doesn't need proof. No, it doesn't need proof for them because they need that belief so strongly. They need it so badly uh, to support their, their, their view of the world. I, I think that's a pity that they can't see through what, what is being preached to them uh, for so many generations after generation after generation. It's ridiculous. And uh, again, the word Dachau is my evidence. But th- there are others who are religious or following religious ideas based on intellectually well-thought-out things. Like uh, there is one neuroscientist uh, in Hungary who, who just recently got the Brain Award. Uh, and he's really the most prominent uh, uh, neuroscientist in Hungary. And he happens to be a creationist. What he he often says is that the brain is so developed, it is so complex, it is so beautiful that it could not have been without a designer. Well, prove it to me. Prove it to me. Come on. Hey, I'm a conjurer. I regularly fool that brain, that human brain, yeah. regularly. And I, I do it... Uh, It's easy for me because I'm a professional. That is my profession, fooling people, mm-hmm. uh, but doing it for, for the purposes of, of delight and entertainment, certainly not for any other purpose to convince them of any philosophy or, or to part them from their hard-earned money. Uh, not at all. That's not why I do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm a professional magician. I know organizations of professional magicians that I highly respect. And they, they share my opinion on this. Most of them certainly do. There are some that are renegades, and uh, they, they take advantage of people's uh, uh, naivete. And that's what it is. It's not dishonesty. It's naivete that these people suffer from. And uh, this gentleman, whoever he is, I, I think that if I could sit down with him and ask for the evidence, I, th- I think I might... I might even misdirect his uh, his uh, his belief system somewhat and make him think. That's my purpose in life, is to make people think about the preconceived notions they have, particularly about religion. Basically, just like Heach said, you know, religion poisons everything. <laughs> yeah. But speaking about proving things, you've had for uh, many years now the Million Dollar Challenge uh Have you changed the rules a little bit, or or is it still on, or what's happening to the million dollar challenge? Oh, it's, it's still on, but it's it's uh, given under different circumstances now. People can no longer uh, apply for it. What we do is we search out people who are making claims of this kind, and we challenge them directly. And of course, they they do not respond. Uh, you can't imagine Larry Geller responding to a, a challenge like that. Uh, you you saw in. Uh, an honest liar, uh, his reaction to these things. I, I love the unctuous way he says, uh, I, I think I can imitate him rather well, but you know, what I do is real. <laughs> no, it's not. Bending spoons is not a profession for a grown man <laughs> or a child or for anyone. Well, it's it it is real in a way because they are bending the spoon. Right? <laughs> well, they are. Yeah, yeah, but they pre they pre bending it if I'm not mistaken. 
Please, now you're giving away all the secrets. <laughs> now, one thing that strikes me about Keller, by the way, while we're while we're on that odious subject, um, <laughs> I, I'm astonished that he doesn't have the strength that I do. Now, at 87, I swear, I promise you, and I can demonstrate it for you, as should we ever meet, uh, I can hold as many as old oh, ten or twelve teaspoons in one hand in one hand I can actually hold them and not fall down or be come over balance but when Mr. Geller is presented with one spoon he picks it up from the table or takes it from the hand of the person who presents it in both hands uh, you don't need two hands to lift up a teaspoon <laughs> but then he turns away and it goes behind his body, and he wants to walk to the opposite side of the room and invite everyone to follow him over. And it's out of sight as he crosses the room. Then when he turns back, he's got his other hand over the lower part of the spoon, and all you see is the bowl sticking out of the edge of his hand. And he says, Luke, Luke. And that's the way he <laughs> pronounces L-O-O-K, Luke, uh, as in Luke and John and the other people in the Bible. Oh. And he strokes the spoon <laughs> very gently. He strokes it at the part where it's already bent and then slowly reveals the bend. And everybody goes, ooh. Now, if he didn't turn away like that, he wouldn't have a chance to bend it. But you can see his shoulders hunch as he bends it. It's ridiculous. And yet he's been getting away with this for so many years. The, the magicians all laugh when they see him. No, no, he, there's, there's, there's something that you can find on YouTube, and I invite you to look it up. Um, yes, on YouTube, they have Geller uh, causing a compass, a, a big navigational compass, a huge, monstrous thing, a ship's compass. Uh, they, he causes it to turn. But you can actually see him on camera plugging something onto his thumb. It, it's, it's an obvious move. And when he then waves his hands over the, the compass that's sitting there, the compass starts to move. And everybody, ooh. And, and it gets them all to join hands in the, in the audience. This is misdirection, of course, as we say in the trade. Mm. And you see the compass move, and they're all ooing and aahing because they can. And then you see him take this cap off his thumb. It's what we call in the trade a thumb tip. It's, it looks like a human thumb, but it actually has a space at the end of it. It's a, it's a thimble sort of a thing that fits over the thumb. You can see him go through that. Look it up on YouTube. Uri Geller and a compass, I guess, would probably do it. And you will see him, and they actually circle his hand as he puts the device on and takes it off afterwards. He is a sloppy operator, but of course, remember, he also doesn't need to be very good because he already has the reputation. Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh, I think it's just because of the parallel is so obvious. I'm just going back to the Trump and the elections in America how he doesn't have to be a good anything and he doesn't have to try hard because people have a certain perception about Trump. So, yeah. I think we all do. <laughs> it's going a bit off topic, but it's actually getting really scary closer to elections it gets. And so... Oh, yes. Oh, yes, it is. It absolutely is. Trump is such a pompous ass 
That, that's the technical term we use to describe folks like him. Uh, he and the way he's always pointing a finger and throwing his head back so you're looking straight into his chin and pontificating. And uh, the word pontificating was never better applied than to Donald Trump, of course, in my estimation. Yeah. No, but not, not only is it a pompous ass, that is his uh, main uh, advantage. He uses that as, as oh, yes. his main thing. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Uh, him as, as a president of the United States, I, I, I just can't imagine it. Oh, it's a scary thought. I, I have so many friends who also can't imagine it. Uh, I'm just about to, tomorrow morning to go out and uh, and, and cast a vote uh, in the, the coming election. Um, I want to make sure that my vote is not wasted, that I don't die in between. I'd hate not to have contributed uh, to the the demise of the Republican Party, and I, I'm exposing my my uh, my party affiliation here, but that's uh, that's fine. Thank you. I am a registered Democrat, so there. Hmm. Yeah. No, I think the I whole don't, world. I don't think any of us are. No. is really surprised, Matt. <laughs> no, absolutely not. And then also the thing is, the whole world is uh, horrified, not just America, because America is one of the strongest countries in the world, and if it's led by somebody like Trump, we basically all. Uh, then you know. Don't say doomed, that word. Doomed. I was going to say <laughs> okay. the F word because okay, that's yeah. the only that's the only appropriate word in the circumstances. Mm. Because um, yeah, so let's hope it's not. Let's let, I, let's really hope that in this instance the reason will prevail, um, and people will just get their act together. Years ago, I, I sat. I was alone in the house at this particular time. I turned on television, and Barack Obama was walking with his family down Constitution Avenue in Washington. He was walking along the street and on his way to the White House to take up residence. And I sat in my living room and I cried like a baby. I, <laughs> it finally dawned on the American public that they could put a black man in the White House. What a great surge forward in, in rationality. And I know, I know that at that moment I was so overcome, I, I thought th this is a huge step forward, hmm. a huge step forward. Now, I, I don't think that Obama was, President Obama, pardon me, was given all the freedom that he might have had. And I think that uh, political problems uh, entered his his stay in the White House. But I understand that. I think that he did an excellent job for the time that he had and the facilities that he had. But my goodness, the fact that a black man went into the White House astonished me. And I... I I wept unashamedly. No, I was all by myself, but I sat there with tears going down my face and, and proudly, mm. very proudly. Let us all hope that uh, it's going to happen to you again when a woman gets into that chair. Oh, 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 can you imagine? And oh my, if, if Mrs. Clinton should ever become president of the United States, that'll be two blows that irrationality will not be able to survive, I swear. 
Now, I just hope that she can if she gets in there. Uh, and and, and that's, that's my hope. That's my hope, I must say. Um, if she gets in there, that she will be able to do what she hopes she can do. She certainly has the experience mm. yeah. and the background for that, uh, for that job. Um, but why are we talking about American elections? Yeah, yeah, yeah we're yeah, straight yeah. into politics here. And it's uh, really <laughs> maybe not the yeah, focus we, on we, the show, but it's very interesting. Yeah. We occasionally do that, so yeah. <laughs> it's because of the uh, some parallels between the um, famous um, fraudsters and 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 the um, Donald Trump. Sorry, yeah, sure. <laughs> I think we are all very eager to see you in action, um, meaning that you can show us uh, what you just told us about uh, how you can do the the spoon bending uh, in the way that. Urigala cannot. Um, but it's not easy to really meet you in person. But there are occasions when and where people can do that. That occasion was for a long time the amazing meeting. And we were lucky enough to experience that twice in Europe, in London as well because uh, TAM is happening in Las Vegas. But uh, it did happen in London twice. What happened to it? And what's the future for TAM in Las Vegas? And is there going to be another TAM outside of the United States? Well, I will just suggest this to you, that uh, I'm in, in close... Well, I'm one of the founders of the, of the... Uh, The, the Committee for Scientific Investigation Claims of the Paranormal, which is now CSI, Committee for Skeptical Inquiry, as we all know, and I hope. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, I suspect that there is going to be some sort of affiliation uh, made. I, I, I certainly hope that that can be done. This is only uh, information, and it's only a possibility now. So uh, don't don't hold me to it, but I think that uh, something like that will happen. Uh, again, I am slowing down in my uh, older age, and um, I I can't travel quite as much as I would like to. I can't uh, operate at the speed that I used to. Uh, I can still hold my head up, I think, in, in a discussion, but. Uh, I have to have to make changes in my in my routine and in my capacity for work. So um, that's all to be decided, and uh, I, I think we can have some news for you pretty soon. So I I ask you to stay tuned for that, and we'll see uh, how it how it works out. What about Europe? Yes, I I think my 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 experience in Europe has always been very satisfactory whether in Germany or in Finland or in Italy or wherever. Um, uh, it, it has always been very, very satisfactory, and it's always been handled very well whenever I've had a meeting in, uh, in Europe. And I wouldn't mind um, uh, taking the, uh, the, uh, the, the venue uh, to Europe. Uh, it would have to be discussed at length. It, it, it's a complicated thing. It, well, as, as you can well realize, this is uh, attracting people from all over uh, 
uh, Europe and and from the UK uh, in most cases uh, to a meeting where they have to really really travel long distances and uh, uh, an expensive uh, an expensive proposition as well for them. Uh, but to make it worthwhile, it's got to have something. I've got to have other speakers. I, I want I want people like some of my like Richard Saunders, for example, in, in Australia. Uh, that's <laughs> what and uh, no, he he's a, a, a precious precious friend of mine, and I, I just uh, if I could have him with me at all of these events, I just did a a whole tour as I mentioned previously of Australia from coast to coast and he was at just about every one of those uh, assiduously he, he never left my side and and that helped a great deal <clears throat> I had great cooperation on that and um, I I have to entertain I have to think of, of many different uh, possibilities for uh, expanding expanding pardon me the uh, the whole idea of the the JRAF traveling around and uh, having this kind of effect worldwide, but I better hurry along on it. <clears throat> you know, I've only got so much time left. I, only in another hundred years, I think, I'd perhaps do it. Randy, I think I think one of the things that makes you so lovable is that you always use a lot of humor in your communication. So. How important is it to reach other people by by using humor? And has it always come natural to you? Oh, no, it comes natural to me. I'm a performer, after all. I started this uh, when I was, uh, I guess, about 14 years of age. I first started to do magic tricks and whatnot, and that's a long time ago. That's in another century, and it's in another millennium. Come on. <laughs> you know, that's way back <laughs> <laughs> I can claim great antiquity, but uh, no, it's it's a natural thing with uh, we show folks, so to speak. Uh, yes, it's it's something I I hope I handle reasonably well, and uh, uh, time has shown that uh, I, I guess I get through to a great number of people, and uh, in a very well, as I said, uh, attending showings of. An Honest Liar, the film, the documentary film uh, about me and my work and my partner. And uh, those those experiences, the people come to me with the tears in their eyes. You made a great change in my life. Whoa, hmm. you can't buy that. As, as I said previously, I know I'm repeating myself, but you can't buy that, folks. You just can't buy it. And you can't invent it. it it's there and... And people really look at you and you realize what your responsibility is in the skeptical um, skeptical movement. And, and we very, don't ever, ever lose your, your pride in being skeptics, being organized skeptics who, who want to get the message out. There's a big message to be gotten out here and we have to work hard at it. Uh, there are people who are just waiting to hear what we've got to say. And uh, I know that from ex from vast experience over many, many years now, over decades. And uh, continue on. Don't, don't, don't uh, fail. Don't uh, falter. 
make sure that you work hard at it. If you're a skeptic and you're dedicated and you really want to help people and you want to, to lead them to some a, a different sort of truth, uh, there are varieties of truth, of course. Uh, please do. <laughs> we were going to ask you the next question, you know, what keeps you going? But I think you've answered it. In in just just now in what you said, you know we have to keep going. We have there are people who whose minds being changed, and um, it's really truly inspirational. I, I have to say, um, just a quick question about your upcoming book. Where when do you expect it to be released? Have you got a date yet, or is it not at that stage yet? I don't even have a publisher yet because we've got two right. publishers that are sort of haggling with me. Uh, they're very anxious to do a lot of editing, but. I don't want one of my precious words taken out, of course. That's that's the way writers are. Uh, this may be a thick book, but um, it, it's probably my last uh, major publication as well. Uh, though I have <laughs> I have the the skeleton of one of them uh, sort of assembled in my word processor, uh, so there there may even be one beyond that. Well, that no, that would that would be thirteen. No, no, it would only be 12. Okay, we're all right. I wouldn't want it. <laughs> well, let us, know, let us know when you've got the dates and we can promote it here. I know we're only a small podcast, but we'll do our best. Yeah, we'll buy at least three copies, one for each of us. At least, yeah. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, buy, I'll buy two copies, one for me and one for my husband, sir. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I do think that I'll try to buy a hard copy just in case I can meet up with you at some point and, uh, and have it signed. <laughs> well, we'll try that, Andres. And uh, I want to thank you for your call today and for, for this uh, happy circumstance of a little conference. I, I perhaps spoke too much. But uh, that is what show people do, unfortunately. <laughs> you can't speak too much to us. Uh, sure. No. No, it was complete yeah. our pleasure. It's, there's no such thing as <laughs> speaking too much. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much for your time. You're and very, very welcome. My great pleasure, of course. And I'd like to add something. Since you are very used to people coming up to you and saying this, I I won't shy away from it. Because I'd like to thank you for changing my life as well. I was a high school student when I first heard about who James Renly was. And that's mainly thanks to uh, those people you mentioned as well, like uh, Dula Bente and uh, others. And I got involved so much in the, the skeptic movement that I decided to, to write up a th uh, an essay to uh, Termis at Vilaga, it's a journal, that they had uh, an essay competition, a student essay competition, in which you offered a small prize for those who are writing about a skeptical topic. And I did. And I did get your prize, which still is one of the things I'm the proudest of. Because it was the last, probably the, the last push that I needed to go down that road that I am a skeptic now. And I, I wanted to be very rigorous in my way of thinking, in, in my questioning my own 
beliefs and uh, and and everything that I experience in a way and require evidence. So that that way of thinking, that is something that I ultimately owe to you, and I really want to thank you for that. And I do think that many other people around the world feel like that as well and share my feelings. Well, thank you, Andras. It's very good of you to say that. And uh, as I say, I I do get this this comment increasingly uh, with the showing of the film and with any kind of public appearance that I make. There are many of those every month, I can assure you. Uh, I'm all, I always feel very grateful to know that I've gotten across to a, to a certain number of people, and I want to increase that number. It's important. And thank you for the work that you folks do. Uh, you're only a, a, a small number of people, but you have the, the right to purpose in mind. And uh, I, I'm sure you're very successful at it, and I hope this experience has added to it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. James, the amazing Randy. Thank you very much, James. Goodbye. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Guys, we interviewed James, the amazing that Randy. That was great. He's that... such a great guy. And it was f- fantastically fun to, to talk to him. Great. And but yeah, it's a privilege. And uh, I was very excited. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah i think we all were yeah? Very, very, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah i have to say that in a sense we might not appear that professional about the way we interviewed him uh as of course we usually do um <laughs> but there is a good enough reason for that you don't you don't get to interview james the amazing randy every day and we were like all three of us, even even Pontus, who's an, an old guy. Um, <laughs> we were all excited like little children. Yes, I am a it small was... child. <laughs> Absolutely, so fantastic. Mm-hmm. I I don't care. I hope everyone loved uh, the interview. We did. We certainly did. Mm. And uh, yeah, every minute. Absolutely. And hope hope to be able to meet uh, James the Amazing Randy at some point uh, somewhere in the world, because he he's he's still traveling around. Oh yeah, at the he age was, of eighty-seven. Yeah. That's that's mind blowing. That's amazing. To yeah, see. he was in in Finland just six months ago. So yeah, sure, incredible. One day we're gonna we're gonna ask him again how many countries he's he's already visited in Europe. We're we're gonna have to find out. But you know what, people, if you've been visited by James the Amazing Randy, if you remember from especially from back in the nineties. If you remember an occasion when he appeared on stage in your country somewhere and it had an influence on your country's skeptical movement, please let us know. We want to collect all of those stories. Or even if it's your personal experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like mine, I shared on the interview as well. I'm pretty sure that there are lots of uh, uh, stories like that and we would love to hear those. We could put them together and and put it on a website in in some form or, or another. It's because it's it's worth sharing, I think. So yeah, contact us, please, if you have a story like that. But other than that, I think this is about it for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I did. So did I. <laughs> we have a lot planned for you in the coming weeks and months. So stay tuned. But for now, this is. 
it. Thank you very much, Yelena, and thank you very much, Pontus. Thank you. Thank you. Right. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments, or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe. I, I doesn't have it open. Ah, I don't doesn't. I, I, don't I does have not have what open what. <laughs> you know, you know that is there is a video electronic supersonic, <laughs> and the guy even looks funny, and he says, "I is more stronger than Darth Vader." <laughs> <laughs> Frank Zappa had a song called You Am What You Is. <laughs> <laughs> no. That's awesome. I didn't I knew didn't that. <laughs> oh my god. I'm just you all over the fucking place, aren't you? See ya, Stock. Hey, Sally Hope. <laughs> <laughs> the same tweet. <laughs> See ya, Stock. Same tweet. I don't know, no. Oh, why? I had no enthusiasm. Oh, okay. Siasto! No, no. Bloody hell. Bloody hell. Are you okay, Anders? Всем привет. Hey, Saraleup. What? Gesundheit. Gesundheit. Salut. On every... Okay, good try, good try. You're not getting too tired or anything? No, no, I okay. I, I had a little nap in the middle of it. Oh, right. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I'm glad it wasn't obvious.